Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. And we also have uh, PDFs available for download on our website, Grove.Church. Yeah, so as usual, go ahead and grab one of those. If you don't have it, you can follow along with us. And if you're just picking up the podcast and maybe you uh, are a little bit concerned that you're jumping into the middle of the year, uh, I would say jump into it anyways and, and read along with us. Uh, we try and do our best to cover all the topics that we can uh, in a very creative and fun fashion. So that's even today's focus. Uh, but typically, if there's questions, we like to take time to answer those questions too. So we would love for you to take a moment, send them to us. Uh, as you're reading along, maybe you're listening, and there's two ways that we just ask you to send them to. The first is you can shoot us an email at info at grove.church. That's the email address. Make sure you put in the subject line, uh, let's read the Bible podcast question, uh, or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, uh, and would love for you to direct message us there with those questions you have, because we want to take time to answer them. There you go. And this week, we have any question too. We, this week, we have a fun question. Yeah. So it's not even uh, necessarily Bible related. So we'll get to that at the end, though. Um, so today we're going to talk about, uh, we were just going through me and Aaron were talking back and forth about what we want to do. All of the books that were in the Bible reading plan, we've actually done recaps for before. Yeah, like in the last 18 months, we've done something yep. over them. So. so if you're interested, I mean, the Gospel of Mark, we just did. But yeah. Hosea, I think we did about a year ago now. Um, and so it's just kind of one of those things we were thinking, well, what's some things that we can talk about that we don't really talk about? And then we had the idea, um, let's talk about the other 10 disciples. And what I mean by that is, let's take out Peter and John, yep. because we the know- The two that are probably the most famous. Yeah. So we know a lot about, and the reason we're, I'm talking about taking them out is because you could do it, really, you could do a full episode on both of them. We've done one on John. I don't know if we've done one on Peter or not. Um, I don't re- recall. But we learn a lot about them in the Gospels, but then we also learn a lot about them from their other writings as well. So mm-hmm. Peter and John both have letters that they write to churches yeah. and to individuals, um, and then- John even has another book, Revelation. Not that we learn a ton about John, the person in that book, but you know, you see the end of his life and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we thought there's another 10, there's really 11. We'll get to a uh, honorable mention at the very end, but uh, the other <laughs> the disciple- guy was cast at lots for. Yep. But, and, and then never heard from again. Um, but we'll, we'll, Thank we'll, you. Come we'll, again. we'll talk about the, it, it, but, and yet still, still a better disciple than Judas. So uh, Boom, roasted. we'll get to that. So, Ouch, bro. Shots fired. For our resources today, we are using the ESV study Bible, the Logos uh, Bible software, Reformation study Bible, and then the Zondervan illustrated Bible dictionary by J.D. Douglas, Meryl C. Tenney, and Moises Silva. So there you go. All right. So our first, and we're going to go kind of in order that they're normally listed. So when you go see the list of disciples, they're kind of, they're usually all in the same. Yeah. So that's kind of how we're going to do it. So forgetting about, again, forgetting about Peter and John, not that because they're not important, but because. We know a lot about them. Yeah. And let, you know what? Let's, let's get, let's give the other disciples their time they, in the They sun. can take a seat, backseat for once. Okay. Boom. There you go. Take oh. that Peter and John. All right. So first guy we're going to talk about is James, the son of Zebedee. So, and this would be James, uh, John's brother as yes. well, not James, Jesus's brother. Yeah. So the book of James in the New Testament is written by Jesus's, I guess, half brother. So son yeah. of James's parents were Mary and Joseph, whereas obviously Joseph was not actually Jesus's father. Wait, so, what? I'm I, just kidding. I'm just I kidding. know. Some of you are just like mind blown right now. And you might say that James is a really interesting person to include on a list of lesser known disciples because he's he is one of the innermost circles. So yeah. the way it kind of works is, and this, this might blow people's minds, I don't know, but there was also more than 12 disciples. Why? Because we hear oh, about, shoot. Um, I forgot the numbers, but there's there's groups and groups and groups. So there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a large group of people traveling with Jesus. The 12 disciples are kind of the innermost circle, not the innermost, they're an inner circle of disciples that are with Jesus pretty much all the time. Yeah. 
And then within that group, there's a group of four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, um, who get to do a lot of stuff. And then for whatever reason, Andrew doesn't even get included on poor Andrew. Yeah, poor Andrew. So it, uh, Peter, James, and John are there for- Four's too many people. Yeah. Four, four, three's company, four's a crowd. That's the saying, right? I'm pretty sure. I'm just kidding. I thought, but, it, was, I thought it was two's company. No, I know. But true. maybe it's three's. No, it's two's company. I was just joking. Oh, see, I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> Sorry. Guys, I'm like halfway through my coffee right now, so sorry, dear me. listeners. Uh, but anyways, so the, but Peter, James, and John are there for big moments. They're there for the transfiguration, mm-hmm. which is when Christ's glory is, uh, I mean, pretty much fully revealed. I yeah. mean, and then you see uh, Moses. I almost said Moses. Uh, Moses. You see, you see Moses uh, and Elijah there as well. They're there in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Geth, gosh, I Gethsemane. Yep. And so I just get tongue tied. That's the one word I think you always get tongue tied. Dude, I can't. I can't say it. It's the weird. It's the weirdest thing. So I, in, in, I had the other. I had the hard time the other day saying nectar. Oh, there you go. At a grad party. That was a barbecue sauce, the devil's ne- nectar. So oh, yeah. Dude, saying those two words together doesn't work. Anyway, sorry. That's funny. Uh, Gethsemane. So yeah, but they're there with Jesus praying as well. So they're the ones that are rebuked for like, why'd you fall asleep? That sort of thing. So, um, but unlike Peter and John, who are also part of the inner circle, James does not live long or at least not long enough to have historically significant writing slash ministry. So I want to be careful. I said historically significant because I'm sure he did a lot of ministry and like brought, so you know what I mean? We're not trying to throw shade on the disciples. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. And so none of the disciples did much of historical significance after Christ. And so what I mean by that is things that are recorded in written history mm-hmm. um, by early eyewitnesses. So I so that's the thing. I want to be very careful about that language because they did significant things. They went, they did ministry. Um, according to some traditions, they get really, really far. So it, it's great. So I don't want to belittle that at all. So when I say historical significance, I mean, mostly we just don't know what it was. Yeah. So James never writes anything that survives to this day. And we don't really know what his ministry looks like. So he's killed about 10 years, give or take after- yeah, He was um, the first martyr. No, Stephen was the first martyr, right? Yeah, James was the first disciple. That's right. Who was martyred? That's correct. Um, so we don't get to know him very much, and he also doesn't write uh, letters like Peter and John do. So we don't get to see. He's kind of probably his more character. of a talker, anyways. Yeah, James, James seems. Like, well, and it's funny too because I think you see with the disciples, none of them have early writings. Um, Peter and John write very much as older men in in the seasons of life that they're in. But there's no you know thirty year old John writing to people. It's yeah. that they're all older there. Um, so, but yeah, James was the brother of John and the son of Zebedee, meaning he also grew up as a fisherman. So like Peter, Peter, Andrew, and John, all of them grew up being fishermen. Um, it's never explicitly stated, but we always assume that James is the older brother, um, mostly because his name is always listed first. So it's always James and John. And then there's a few times that John is referred to as the brother of James. So, well, but John was also called the youngest. It was also the youngest. And John was called the youngest. Yeah. So all of those things together, even though it's never explicitly Explicitly stated, stated, yeah. yeah. So. One of those things. Uh, James and John also get the nickname Sons of Thunder, giving us <laughs> giving us a hint as to the personality of the young men. I, I just found this out when I was researching. I don't know why in my head. I always thought um, Sons of Thunder was a reference to when they want to call down fire and thunder, but that's also never explicitly stated. It's just huh. assumed that those two things are connected, which I think is a good assumption. Yeah. Um, but I was in, in Mark is where we get that they're called sons of thunder, but it's just an aside. It says, and then he called James and John, whom he called sons of thunder. And then, so that, that, that was just a connection made. But I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty safe connection that when um, 
a town basically is is acting up, we'll say, James and John are like, why don't we, well, Jesus, why don't you just call down thunder or uh, not thunder, I guess fire and consume it. And then Jesus is like, whoa there guys. Yeah. Whoa there sons of thunder. So he didn't say call down thunder because obviously thunder wouldn't destroy anything because that's just sound. But anyway, <laughs> I'm tired too. Not tired. It's just, and Evan doesn't drink coffee. It's true. I'm drinking my H2O. Anyway, so like we said, we don't hear anything really about James until he's put to death by the sword. In Acts chapter 12, it says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. So this is early church happening. Mm -hmm. And you're beginning to see the dispersion of the church. What I mean by that is... The church really seems like it kind of stuck around in Jerusalem and in that area of Israel for a long time. And then they were kind of forced to scatter a little bit, and which is, I think, is a good thing. Yeah. And then that's when you see really the missionary journeys beginning to start and stuff like that. Uh, and then finally, we won't include, so I want to be careful with this. So with all of the disciples, every single one of them has some story about, about what they went on to do after their ministry. Some of those are more reliable than others. So what I try to do is include the ones that are fairly early. And so even if we don't like this, and this is not, it's not a biblical thing, so we don't know for sure yeah. if it's true or not, but we have a pretty good idea because some of them are just like, oh, like, yeah, James, well, for instance, so there's a tradition from Clement of Alexandria that says, who's a very early church father, um, that says that the, so someone accuses James of a crime and he's put to trial and then he's executed by the sword is essentially what happens. So there's a tradition from Clement that says, the, per, the man who actually accused James of the crime was so moved by his gospel presentation at the trial that he actually became a Christian right then and there. And then he was let out and executed with James, hmm. which I think is a, I mean, cool is the wrong Dude, word. That's a powerful story. Exactly. Powerful. That's a great word. Um, but there's another tradition, which I would say I, I, is probably not true, where like James went all the way to Spain and then ministered and then came back to Jerusalem within like the 10 years and hmm. stuff like that. So those are the ones where we're not necessarily going to include and talk about all of the disciples have them. Um, I mean, believe whatever you want to believe, but some of them are just kind of like some, like someone just kind of said it yeah. <laughs> at some point later on. So who knows? All right, moving on to our next disciple, we have Andrew, uh, similar to James. Andrew is most often seen in the shadow of his well-known, his more well-known brother, Peter. So just like James. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. Just like today we would think of James as, oh, that's John's brother, Andrew. We think of him as being Peter's brother. Uh, but Andrew was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. So like we said, there's that grouping of four mm -hmm. um, that is often there. So Andrew's included in a lot of things. Um, like the other disciples in his inner group, Andrew, Andrew grew up as a fisherman. It is also interesting that I don't, I'm sure there's not really anything to it. Maybe there is, but it is funny that Jesus' innermost grouping of disciples were all fishermen. There was no like diversity in, of occupation going yeah. on there. Well, I would imagine also there's not a lot of diversity in occupation period at that time. Yeah. Well, we don't, we don't find out. I'm, I don't, I want to be careful. Ta Matthew's a tax collector. No. I think he's the only other disciple that we know his vocation for sure before he became a disciple. Um, I want to be careful when I say that because I could be just like blanking on something really obvious. But um, dear listeners, if you know, of, <laughs> let us know and we'll, we'll issue a correction next episode. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll repent. There you go. Lies. Uh, but Andrew is also certainly one of Jesus' early disciples. Yeah. Um, and it's possible that he was either a disciple or a follower of John the Baptist. Um, it could just yeah. be that he was there 
so we, we the first time we meet Andrew is when John the Baptist declares that Jesus is the Christ. Um, I might be getting that wrong at the baptism. What does he say? Yeah. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God takes place in the world. Okay, that's what he says. So when he's there, when he declares that, Andrew is there and he sees this all happen. And then that's what convinces him to follow Christ. So mm -hmm. we don't know if he's there because he was there getting baptized by John or if he was there because he's like one of John's disciples. Yeah. So him and Philip are both there. We'll talk about Philip here in a second. Um, but and then when we get that from uh, John chapter one. So it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So and it is interesting too, because so Andrew is the one who really like tells Peter, like, yeah. no, you, you got to see this guy, uh, which is really interesting. And, and that in and of itself is a great legacy that, you know, the one of the great early church fathers yeah. um, and maybe never even becomes a Christian if it wasn't for his brother. Thanks, um, Andrew. But yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Um, and then finally, tradition holds that Andrew left to preach in Scythia, I think is how I'm going to choose to say that. Um, Scythia. Scythia. Um, works for me. Um, I had never, I, so side note, I'm, I like, I love history. I had never heard of these guys before. So like when I went and looked them up, cause I want to see what modern day countries they're in. There's like a bunch of documentaries that popped up about like this uh, Scythian warriors. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So I might go watch one of those after, That's afterward. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> but it's in modern, modern day, Southern Russia in Kazakhstan. So around the North of the Caspian Sea is where we're talking. Uh, and then he would be crucified on an X-shaped cross, which is why today that's actually called a St. Andrew's cross. So mm. there you go. I didn't know that's what they were called. I didn't know either. If you, Google, if you Google St. Andrew's cross, it comes up with um, a bunch of like, they just look like horrible ancient torture devices. So not fun. But, uh, and that is also, I guess, something else we should mention is tradition holds that pretty much all of the disciples are killed for yeah, their faith, John. except for John. And he was boiled alive and survived. So they, yeah, he, it he, wasn't, didn't have, he didn't have an easy life. It he, wasn't for lack of And then trying. he was exiled. Then he was kicked out of any kind of community-based whatever. That's what, And that's where Revelation comes in. But yeah, so John, yep. John has a life. But we're not talking about John today. So these two brothers, I think we can kind of link them into a group here of, they're probably the best known personality-wise of the disciples, but that aren't Peter and uh, Peter and John. And they also have the the interesting aspect of being brothers who are overshadowed by their other brothers, but in their own right, continuing on to do great things for the Lord. Um, Andrew and, and both probably the older brothers too, right? Wasn't Andrew or did I miss? I don't. I, th I, think, I think Andrew's always listed second. I don't but know. okay, yeah. But I, I could be Anyways. wrong on that. Yeah. And I could be wrong too. It's probably more likely I'm wrong, but. Yep. So now we're going to get into our next group of two. Um, these two were almost certainly friends uh, beforehand. BFFs. BFFs forever. And we're talking Philip. And then we're going to talk about Nathaniel slash Bartholomew. So Philip first. Uh, Philip was born in Bethsaida, which is also home to Peter and Andrew. So he probably, I mean, towns aren't very big. So he, he almost certainly knew Peter and Andrew yeah. uh, before all this is going on. Uh, from what we can tell in scripture, Philip was probably a disciple of John the Baptist first and then joined Jesus after. Uh, he is one, also one of the first disciples called with the calling of him and Nathaniel taking place uh, the day following Peter and Andrew. So when you read in the gospel of John, it says the next day, uh, Jesus found Philip and then the calling of Nathaniel happens right after that. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, we don't know a ton about Philip. Not at all. And, it's kind of, and this is going to be a theme that we see with the rest of the disciples down yeah. the list is uh, with, with James and Andrew, we actually do get some personality snippets all throughout the gospels with the rest of them. It's kind of like, eh, who knows? Um, there's a Philip and Acts who 
talks with the um the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. eunuch. Yep. But that Jinx, is I, you owe me a coke. Huh? Uh no, no, now I can't talk for the rest of the podcast. Evan, Evan, Evan. <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um but that is actually probably a different Philip who was a deacon as well. So the Philip, the disciple, we don't know a ton about what happens. Um, interestingly, though, one of the one of the quick things that we get in the Gospels is that he is approached by Greeks when and he brings them before Jesus. So he's approached by some Gentiles in the midst of Jesus' ministry. Um, so this could mean that Philip maybe had some Greek origin and the Greeks felt more comfortable coming up and talking to him. Maybe he was just a really friendly guy, or maybe they just randomly found a guy and they saw that guy and like, that's a friendly face. We're going to go talk to that Philip character. So who knows? Um, but according to tradition, Philip would begin most of his ministry in Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. So, and that would be kind of where like Galatia, for instance, that's where that is. So the idea is that Philip probably did a lot of his ministry there. Uh, on the same time, we get Nathaniel slash Bartholomew. This is our first disciple where he's known by different names in different gospels. So there's nothing that explicitly says that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. So what we're kind of going off of is there's always a list of 12 disciples. And on that list, after Philip, either Nathaniel or Bartholomew is named, and they're never mentioned at the same time or in the same gospel. So we kind of take those things together to mean that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person, possibly with Bartholomew being his last name or his surname. So there you go. Um, Nathaniel's calling is actually really, it's really interesting. So we're just going to read this passage really quick, but it's in John. So it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, which is why we would say they're probably friends because Philip gets called and he's like, I'm going to go find Nathaniel. You probably don't do that for a stranger. Uh, we have found <laughs> we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which is a great line. So there you go. True. Um, it's a harsh line. Well, and it's also, it's it's important to remember that I mean, Jesus' ministry is just so much about humility. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, like even from the beginning, the idea of like Yahweh God, the creator of the universe, incarnating into hum into man, into human flesh, that is um, humbling. Yeah. That is, that is a, an extremely humble thing to do. And then Jesus exhibits nothing but humility mm -hmm. in his whole um, ministry. And part of that is also choosing to be born to a family that lived in Nazareth, which was just like, it was not, this is not a major place yeah, in Israel. All. Like no one cares. It's just small a small town. town. Yep. Jinx, show me a cup. Oh, dude, just we're kidding. just jinxing all day. Uh, so anyway, Jesus saw Nathaniel, uh, this is verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, uh, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, which is high praise coming from Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you, have see, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Which I've heard um, a bunch of messages about like, well, what, what was happening in that fig tree? Because like literally all Jesus has to say is I saw you under the fig tree and Nathaniel's mind is just blown. blown. Yeah. So, and it's one of the, it's kind of like the mystery of what did Jesus write in the, in the ground? In the uh, with the woman, yep. John 8. Yeah. 
We don't know. Um, we also don't know what happened here. I My like, money's on playing Hangman, so no, I'm just kidding. He's playing Hangman. I actually like the way um, uh, the Chosen TV show did it, where they kind of, they fictionalize a lot of things, um, but the, the way they had it was basically like, um, he was like just crying out to God and then asking God, like, can you even see me? And then Jesus comes and says, I saw you. So, I mean, that's kind of nice to think about. Again, that's, I mean, that's just made up, but it's just who knows what happened on the fig tree. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was just eating some figs and Jesus was like, I saw you eating figs. And he's like, wow, you are the, you are the Christ. So who knows? But that's, that's Nathaniel and uh, him and Philip are always listed together. So best of buds. Yeah. Um, we don't have a lot of reliable tradition about what happens with Nathaniel afterward. So there you go. Uh, next up is actually, at least by name, one of the most well-known disciples, and that would be Matthew. This is the first book of the New Testament. Yep, exactly, because he wrote a gospel. <laughs> but we're calling him one of the less-known disciples because we don't actually—you you don't see a lot of him. Yeah, he's he 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 writes a gospel, but in his own gospel, he's definitely not a major character. He admits himself. Yep. And, yeah. Um, and then in all of the other gospels, he's not really a major character at all. So that's why we're going to talk about him for a little bit. Um, and then we don't. We don't. All, we also don't really hear about his post-Jesus ministry. Although we talked about in the, we did a, um, we did an episode on the Book of Matthew or the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the traditions that's held is that he actually kind of wrote the gospel after he was, or not after, right before he was about to leave for a missionary journey, hmm. as kind of to make sure that if he doesn't come back, which tradition says he didn't come back, um, that he would at least be able to have a record of what he saw with Jesus. So, and you know what, Matthew, shout out to you. Thanks for doing that. So, uh, and it's commonly thought that Levi changed his name to Matthew after Jesus called him. So it's another one of those things where he's known by Levi in some spots and Matthew in some spots. That one is for sure the same person though. Um, it's, it's, it's not like you're not really grasping at straws to make that happen. Um, and then I, I, I thought this was interesting when I was looking it up, the name Matthew is short for, um, Mattathiah, which means gift of Yahweh, um, which I actually think is like, if, if he did change it after he got called by Jesus, I think that's a really beautiful name to change your name to, because mm-hmm. he's essentially saying his um, calling is a gift from God. His redemption is a gift from God. So I think that's actually, I don't know, I, I thought that was beautiful. So that's kind of open-handed conjecture, because who knows if that's really what happened, but I like to think it. But we'll go with it. Uh, Matthew was famously a tax collector before he was called by Jesus. Uh, this would have made him one of the most hated people yep. in this, in his area. Um, and so we, I, we, you don't want to skip over this because I think we think of tax. No, here's the thing. If you find out your friend works for the IRS, you probably you're like, oh, come on, man, you should get a better job than that. No offense to any of our IRS working listeners. So you do great work. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of those things. Listen, where, I don't hold the same idea as Evan, just so you guys know. Like, no one likes the tax man. Well, and that's not true. I, 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 have, I have a tax man that I love like crazy because he does my taxes for well, me. Well, no, that's, so. that's not a tax man. Yes, that's, that's an accountant. No, it's not. Different. Anyways. Shout um, out to Chuck, who does my taxes, and he's awesome. Uh, but anyway, all, all those things to say uh, in the in the biblical times. I think um, you compare it to more the stereotypical government worker is what is the perception, I think. Well, um, even and that's the thing too, like you, you have someone that works for the IRS. It's the auditing thing that people don't like, which is why they don't like him, because they have a lot of rules they have to follow up with. Ma- Matthew is not in comparison apples to apples in that regard. Right. Because Matthew was... He was the cheat. He was the tax collectors were known for cheating uh, Israelites and other people out of their own money so they could pocket profit and give to the government once the government's, but they pocketed the the, the profit of it. Um, 
And so if there was a base rate that was owed to the government, they would then charge exponentially more so yep. they get in the pocket. So they, they robbed people. They cheated people, which is the story of Zacchaeus um, that you see in the New Testament as well. And so, um, yeah, Matthew was like, it's interesting because even, I mean, go to this, like they would talk about sinners, but then they would also have tax collectors as their own category. Right. Uh, that was worse than quote unquote the sinners it, um, because that's how hated they were. It would honestly be applicable to, um, and you always want to be careful because I hate comparing things to Nazis. But when you think like during world, cause I think it's just, you know what I mean? It's just such a, um, anyway. So like, but when, when you look at world war two and you see the Germans coming in and conquering different places, there's pockets of people in those who are just kind of like on board with it. Mm-hmm. And so, and a lot of them are hated by the people around. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that's kind of similar to what Matthew's doing. There's an oppressing power. Um, that's, He's not comparing Matthew to Nazis. He's comparing. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm comparing. Nazis are like the Roman government. Is yeah. What comparing it so to. Rome comes force, in so. to. I just want to make sure that was clear. Yeah. Yeah. Rome comes in to overlord over Israel. They're suppressing a lot of um, religious freedom. And then Matthew is working with that government to hurt his own people yeah. is what he's doing. So he's a, he's a local who's, who's yeah, a peon. He's yeah. a local who's a servant. So there you go. Um, but being a tax collector, Matthew would also have been well-versed in keeping records, um, which would kind of make, it makes sense as to why he's one of the disciples who writes a gospel yeah. is given his occupation beforehand, it kind of, it kind of checks out. So it's one of those things. Uh, and then Matthew also seems to really care about uh, showing Christ to all of his friends from before. So in Luke, we get this story where it says, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus answered them, to th- those who are well need have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so you get this cool moment where Matthew is called into ministry. Um, it clearly changes his life. And one of his first reactions is to have all of his friends over and introduce them yeah. to Jesus. Um, so I think, I think that's a really beautiful moment. It shows a lot. It shows that moment shows a lot of Matthew's character as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then while we don't hear much about, we don't hear much of Matthew, we can piece together part of his priorities from just inferring things from his gospel. Yeah. And so that would be where we know um, he's very much concerned in his gospel with showing Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And and you can kind of see like he's, he goes through like the genealogies and all yep. these different things. There's a bunch of asides in Matthew where Jesus does something and then it says, and this was to fulfill such and such. And so you can, you get the idea that Matthew was uh, very, very well versed in uh, mm-hmm. in Hebrew scripture and Hebrew tradition. All right, next up, we're going to talk about Thomas. Uh, doubter. Dude, I kidding. always feel, I feel so bad for Thomas because he's just like with Peter, um, because Peter has lower lows than Thomas does. It's so true. But he gets like with these redemptive moments. And then with Thomas, it's just like, oh, you're the guy who, like when we get to heaven, it's just gonna be like, you're the disciple who doubted. You doubted Jesus. And he's just going to be like, you know, I did like, you know, other things happened. Like, we don't have to just talk about this one story. <laughs> um, but anyway, anyway, uh, he's called Didymus which means twin. So that kind of implies that he had a twin. So hmm. cool. The question is, who's the twin? I know. Maybe know. it's, uh, well, if it's, uh, my dad's name is uh, Tom and then his brother's name is Tim. So maybe 
that was the same here where it was Tim and Tom, the, the twins. So I don't know why my grandparents did that to themselves, but they did. So there you go. That's uh, funny. Thomas also, so I, I want to share Thomas's high point, or at least one of his high points. He also has this expression of devotion when Jesus went to heal Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus. Uh, in John eleven thirteen through 16, it says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they had thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus plainly said to him, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may, uh, that we may die with him. So yeah, kind of this idea, like he's sticking with Jesus to the end. So that's a cool deal. Uh, and the tradition tells us that Thomas would actually make it all the way to India, which is kind of cool. And that's actually one of the more reliable traditions. So mm-hmm. you kind of look at it and you think of, I don't know, but it's actually, there's actually some decent evidence that it happened. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then he would be killed there. But there's even Sad. today in, uh, I was looking at it, there's, um, I should have, I, sh- I wish I could remember if it was a city or if it was just kind of a church, but it was a, a place of St. Thomas in India where they kind of talk about the the full heritage of that whole oh, thing. Oh, interesting. So there you go. All right. Now we're going to get to the last of the disciples who are just, um, I mean, they're footnotes. Who? I'm sorry. Who? Like, so their their name, if you're listing off disciples, you you list their names, but we literally just don't find out. We don't know almost anything about Almost them. anything. So we have James, the son of Alphaeus. Um we don't know much about him. So Matthew is listed as the son of Alphaeus, meaning they could have been brothers. So maybe huh. that's kind of cool. You never know. I didn't know that. Um, there's also at the very end of the gospels, there's a Mary who is called the mother of James and the wife of uh, Clopas, and which is uh, basically there's, a, there's an idea that Clopas could be another form of the name Alphaeus, which means that this would be James, James's mother. Um, so there you go. And he's called James the Younger. I found out that that word could also mean smaller. So like it could be either oh. James the Younger or like little James. So either way. So maybe he's just like a short guy. Who knows? But one of those things. Uh, and that could have been the same as James the Disciple. So who Interesting. knows? So all we know about James, the son of Alphaeus, is that he was either younger or smaller. Or both. Then, or both. I mean, you never know. Um, and then maybe he's Matthew's brother. So Interesting. There you go. Shout out to James. Go, way to go. Even guy. though we don't know you. Uh, and then finally, we get uh, Simon the Zealot. This one was interesting. I actually didn't know this. Um, so all we know about Simon is that he's called Simon the Zealot. That's it. That's the only thing we get about him. Um, interestingly, I always thought that this was pointing to his membership in the group of the Zealots. Like they're, they're a oh. violent revolutionary group um, in Israel, which it could. Um, but from what I was reading, it actually, I'm actually kind of convinced that it's not actually saying that. So, and here's why. Um, There's the Greek word or Aramaic, I forgot which one it is, but it's zelotos, I think is how you say it. Um, Good word. Yeah, you know, and you say it with confidence and no one's going to correct you. So, um, but that's not actually, that's the word for the the violent military group that would eventually rise up. Yeah. Um, And then they, they start a rebellion and in 80, 70, it it ends poorly. Um, And so that whole thing happens, but they actually use the word Canaanian, to describe Simon, which is often mis... I found this out too. In earlier translations, it's mistranslated as meaning Simon the Canaanite, which is not what it means. Uh, Canaanian is a word meaning essentially someone who is filled with zeal for the Lord. Yeah. Um, So it actually probably... When it says Simon the Zealot, it actually probably means that he was a man who was just filled with zeal um, for God. Which is unfortunately, I guess, a less interesting character trait than if he was like a violent <laughs> uprising. It's so um, sad, but true. Revolutionary, but I yeah, mean, you're a zealot, but, but not the 
yeah. one that is worth writing a story about. I know, but we're committed to the truth here on Let's Read the Bible, so that's that's the idea. Um, but again, it's not like it's also not a for sure thing. So it very mm. much could be that he is kind of like a member of a pre. Um, zealot group like before that group actually really took hold yeah um we just don't know uh and then finally oh shoot i said finally yeah, but we have you missed yeah i almost corrected you I was like i'll just let him i know we have one more footnote disciple sorry to keep calling them that and then we have um the disciple who we shouldn't mention yeah, the, just the disciple who should not be named uh, jerk so there's thaddeus slash judas and i put in parentheses not that not, judas, not that judas <laughs> different judas um thaddeus is the last disciple listed before judas iscariot um the only thing we know about him is that his name is judas and then it's later marked as thaddeus um and this is probably to avoid confusion with that other judas who was a disciple of jesus yeah I, he's the one i always joke about like getting to heaven and he'll be like Oh, what's your name? And he'll be like, oh, Judas. And he'll be like, oh, what'd you do? Like, I was one of Jesus' disciples. And he always has to be like, not- Not that Judas. Not, the, I was another one. Uh, also, reminder that Judas is actually Judah. Because um, mm-hmm. in the New Testament, we just have a bunch of the names that, tra- that change either from Greek and even some um, English traditions. Like James was named that to honor King James, which is kind of interesting. So, but James is Jacob. And then Judas is Judah. So it's actually, yep. and Judah's not ru- ruined. I know, I know a lot of Judas, but Judas, boy, that name. Don't uh, touch it. Nope. Not that, a 10 that, foot pole. That went down with the scary. It's really unfortunate when people choose names like that. Like even naming their kids Delilah. And I haven't heard of Jezebel before. I've, no, I've never. But I've definitely I, heard of some Delilahs. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Anyway. Uh, Listen, so, names matter, people. Yep. Legacies are for real. So that's all we know about Judas slash Thaddeus. Um, that's it. Yep. And that's not even a footnote, bro. That's like a that's his name. That's like a, that's like a high five. And yeah, there's this guy named Thaddeus. Let's move on. At least Simon got the zealot. Yeah, <laughs> so right. there's a little something there. But yeah, then we got Thaddeus. Thaddeus not Judas. that Judas. That's what Thaddeus got. All right. And then finally, before we get to our honorable mention, uh, we have Judas Iscariot. Um, Judas is rightfully listed last among the twelve disciples. So he's always he's always at the very end. And one of, and one of the things too, just about like as I'm thinking about it too, that I'm reminded of like the lists in scripture are not just haphazard. They're actually intentional. Um, the majority of lists that are created um, are are to show priority and preference um, to uh, not a hierarchy, but excuse me, a um, a prominence and position. So that's why you see this list of disciples gets lesser and lesser well-known right. is because of that too. You start off with Peter, John, James, and Andrew, because those are the four most prominent. You go, f- so there's just that layer to it as well. So Judas listed at the end of it is is intentional, but it also, is, you also put things at the bottom of a list to help hone in one last thing or whatever. Like Judas was a chump, like yep. it's unfortunate. And and it was, he was who he was because God used him for his purposes, but um, it's unfortunate. And I would say he's, I mean, he's definitely one of the most well-known. Like if you had someone name, like name the disciples, they would almost always get Judas. Yeah. So. The interesting thing is like, what would have happened if Judas didn't do what he, what he did? Like it would, it would have changed some of the dynamic of, of Christ's life and death and resurrection. So. Yeah. Well, anyways. And that's, yeah, that gets into weird territory where like God, God had a plan. So like, even if, even if it wasn't Judas, the things would have happened, um, to get to where they need to be. Maybe they would have happened slightly differently, but yeah. And I'm not saying that, that his death and resurrection wouldn't have happened, but it, it like Judas gets a bad rap because I mean, we all know him as the betrayer, right? Uh, but someone had to betray Jesus. Like as the way the story was unfolding, someone had to betray Jesus. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess I think. So if it's not Judas, like, can you imagine if James was the one that betrayed Jesus? Yeah, that'd be weird. <laughs> I guess, I guess. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into the weeds of it, but it's just one of those things like Judas, had, just like Pharaoh, Pharaoh had a role to play. Um, like God, God ordains his purposes the way he ordains them. And it's, and it gets into some shady territory there. But right. Well, cause I always things to be careful about. Yeah. Cause I, I always want to be careful too, where, you know, even if God, God has a plan and knows things and knows what's going to happen, he's, you know, he's outside of, of space and time. Um, but people also have agency. So like, yes, the, so there is that whole, I think where like, like Judas, I think he gets the rap he deserves. <laughs> like it's not, it's not a good thing. Even if um, through his evil, and maybe that's the way to do it is what Judas intended for evil, God used for good. Yeah. Similar to the 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 Joseph story with his brothers, except Judas mm-hmm. doesn't have a redemption arc um, nope. at the end. It's unfortunate. So, and then, but yeah, if he didn't betray Jesus, then we'd just be talking about Judas Iscariot as another of the footnote disciples. Yeah, because we didn't hear anything and else. Be like, I mean, hey. he was the guy that had the money, right? He, he right. controlled the money. He was stealing from the money. We found that out later. Well, we I actually have that, that verse. I have oh, those verses pulled perfect. up if you want to read about it. But it goes six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, which is a great name for I don't even know what nard is, but sweet. It's like fat. Uh, is it? It's like oil and yeah. Not lard. Not lard. Okay. Sorry, not fat. It was, it's, it's an oil-based reality. Um, oh, cool. I can't remember the other word to it, but yeah, it's like oil. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the other disciples, parentheses, who was about to betray him. Thanks, John. Parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hint, wink, wink. Said, uh, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii, in, denarii, denarii geez, and uh, given to the poor? He said, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bags, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So John, also not a fan of Judas. Yeah. We can clearly see here where he's like, he, I mean, he doesn't give any I suspense. I wouldn't be a fan of him either. Like if I'm the disciples and he's the one that betrayed and- Right. I mean, I, G, John was in the garden of Gethsemane when that all, this all played out, like when Judas showed up, kissed him on the cheek and everyone well, arrested and him. What's interesting is- this also must have been known to the disciples that he would do this because it's not the kind of thing that comes out after you die where yeah. like all of a sudden they like, oh my gosh, this whole time he's like, there's no camera footage or anything. So, Well, it's one of those things like Jesus on the last supper, you know, John leans in, the beloved disciple, John leans in and say, hey, who's going to betray you? And Jesus point blank says the one whose hand is dipping in the, who's dipping the bread with me. Yep. And Judas was the guy. And then he turns to Judas and says, go do what you've, chosen to do and then judas leaves so at that point the disciples at least those who are leaning in and paying attention um because probably not everyone's paying attention but jesus says go do what you're supposed to do and right. at that point is when he goes and so everyone knows judas left judas that he's up to something there's something going on um but no it's... so so i'd be just as mad at judas too there you so. go uh, so yeah, and then famously, we don't need to go into all this because I think we all kind of know, but he would betray Jesus um, for 30 pieces of silver, betrays him with a kiss. Um, <laughs> I saw this I saw this meme the other day that was like, um, Uh-oh. it was like uh, Judas like talking is, all right, I'm going to go, the one I kiss is Jesus and the guard's like, you, you can just point him out. You don't have to kiss him. <laughs> and it's Judas puts on lip balm and it's like, listen, I don't tell you how to do your job and then just walks in. So. That's funny. Anyway, um, not not necessarily a laughing matter. So G- Judas does betray Jesus for three pieces of silver. Afterwards, um, he's overcome by guilt of what he's done. So he yeah. actually throws the silver back at the feet of the priests, and then he goes and he kills himself. Yeah. So um, really sad, 
really sad ending. Um, also in acts, it's like even more gory because it goes into the details of like what happens after. Yeah, it's, it's gross. So anyway, not a good ending for Judas. So, and then if you're curious, you can go read it. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the first chapter of acts. Um, and then finally honorable mention Matthias. So, uh, in acts after Judas, they're like, Hey, there should still be 12 of us. So they cast lots and. Um, a guy named Matthias wins. So. I read something about casting lots because I always wrestle with that. Like literally, they just threw some some dice down and then mm-hmm. one. But like it felt like a, like a magic eight ball kind of thing. Yeah, it's um, like God speak through this. But the and because I'm reading through Leviticus right now, like the priests cast lot for for decisions to be made. Oh, and, really? And and the priest would always be one that would have it. And what it was is it was something that they're. It was like it, oftentimes it was a yes or no driven question, and when they cast these lots, it literally was two pieces of like two die almost, but not die um, dice. Uh, but it was interesting. Cause like, so that was, that was actually uh, a primary way to determine God's will yeah. for things. And it was just like, Hey, Matthias or whoever the other guy was, I can't remember now, um, wherever the lots cast. Yeah, I forgot. So it was poor, but, poor other guy. <laughs> but yeah, but it totally was one of those things like th- this was an, a normal method. I mean, the, the to help determine, um, God's answer or God's direction. Yeah. And then Matthias was all, interestingly, he was also probably one of Jesus' disciples. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's just some random guy. But like we said, there was more than just the 12. There was a whole group of people who uh, followed Jesus around, learned from his teaching all the time. So Matthias is probably one of those who was brought into that kind of special grouping yeah. of the 12. So there you go. All right. Well, we're going to get to our question here. Uh, but before we do, just a quick reminder to everyone to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app that you're listening on. Uh, we do take the time to read them, and we really appreciate your feedback yeah. as well, um, both uh, constructive criticism and positive in all ways. So it just helps us get better, and it also helps get the podcast out there to more people so we can continue to grow this community of people reading the Bible together. Uh, for our question today, so it says, random fun question, what movie – best explores religious themes without necessarily being a religious movie. So, and I guess we can sub out the word religious for Christian. What movie best uh, explores Christian themes without being necessarily a Christian movie. So I've got a few lined up. Um, These are just the ones that came to me off the top of my head, (laughs) but some of them are more obvious than others. So for instance, the first one I thought of is A Christmas Carol. Um, I don't know if you can consider that a non- Christian movie because it's very much the idea behind it is very much um, centered around this whole idea of like the the holiday where we celebrate the birth of Christ being a moment of redemption. But what it is ultimately is about um, it's about a man who has his eyes open to sin. Um, so it's Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, he's living his whole life not seeing how his sin is affecting the others around him, not seeing how he's viewed, mm-hmm. and then through the course of um, some visions different um i mean basically angels is what they're supposed to be they're spirits um, yeah but they they open his eyes really to so he can see his own life through the lens of the way other people see him and and his encounter with his sin and how his sin will ultimately lead to his death changes his life forever mm-hmm. and he has this beautiful redemption moment so i think that's that's a very christian theme that's explored there um it's a wonderful life is another great one. It's essentially the opposite of A Christmas Carol, where if A Christmas Carol is about um, a rich man who's lived a terrible life and his eyes are open to that life, It's a Wonderful Life is about a poor man who's lived a great life and his eyes are open to that. But essentially the idea there is um, George Bailey is the main guy and he lives his whole life wanting to attain like 
adventure. Like he wants to leave uh, Bedford Falls or Pottersville as it is in the uh, in the the horrible. I don't even know what to call that. The uh, the end of the movie where he, he lives as if he didn't exist. All that stuff happening, but um, he lives his life in that way. And then his eyes are opened up to his own life as well. Um, but also to real what he realizes is the value of people. He realizes the value of, of souls. Um, and so he's he's thought like, man, I missed out on being able to live all these adventures. I've missed out on being able to have all of this money. Like he didn't take that job. And I forgot, it's like a plastics factory, I think, is that took off or whatever it was. Um, but what he sees is how rich his life is because of loving his neighbor mm-hmm. as he would have loved as he as he loved himself and the the impact he's made in in those lives as well so i think that's a very christian theme um two more and then i'll let aaron talk but uh also maybe an obvious one i don't know but lord <laughs> of the rings is just i love those movies i love the books uh they're really good um but just i mean there's 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 a bajillion themes in lord of the rings that are kind of about this whole thing so like I mean, number one i think is the idea that um that good ultimately triumphs over evil. Mm -hmm. And so there's pockets where evil is winning and it looks really dark and it looks like there's no hope. Um, Even the idea at the very end when like, I I sound like a huge nerd, but like when Frodo fails to actually overcome the evil in his heart, um, he, he can't let go of the ring. Basically the, the God of that universe um, intervenes and makes it so that like the the satan character is defeated all these different things. Um I also love this idea of um the one of the things that they take out of the movies but there's a chapter where all of the hobbits go back and they go back to the shire and the shire's in ruins because it's been taken over by you find out it's one of the other wizards and the, basically it's like it always gets taken out of adaptations because it's like kind of anticlimactic where they defeat the big evil character and then all of a sudden there's still more. But I think there actually is something powerful to be said about just the fact that like, there's evil in the world. Like even when you feed and, yeah. and, and that's not, um, I don't want that to seem like after the new heaven and the new earth come, no, then there won't be evil in the world. But even today um, you can look at like, I think there's a lot of people where, you know, like when Hitler's defeated and we're like, okay, that evil was defeated. We put it away. Well, no, there's still evil in the world. Like, yeah. And so I think that's a very, um, it's a very sobering idea, but it's also a very Christian idea that, mm until Jesus comes back. I think Jesus says it this way, the, the poor you'll always have with you, which I think is another way of basically saying that there's always going to be problems yeah. until the new heaven and the earth. Um, and then finally a quiet place. So we just watched the second one um, as the staff, we went out and had like a movie night. So, um, but I think it's, it's a, particularly the first movie. That might get us in trouble for some people. So, oh, you think so? Might be. Oh. Um, but so sorry if that bothers you. Yeah. Uh, so the second movie I won't talk about because it just came out, so I don't want to spoil anything. Spoiler. I know. So in the first movie, um, it's funny because you know it's just like a horror movie. It's really clean, which is nice. There's no language or anything. It's a little so, bit. I don't of know if I'd call it a horror. It definitely is a, a suspense thriller kind of thing, which yeah. has that horror vibe. But it's not horror in the sense of it's not like, like gory, demonic horror, and yeah. and really bad. Like so, that's how I classify horrors. Like there's evil and demonic reality. This is like sci-fi thriller. Yeah, is what I would. Um, qualified as but it's funny because you kind of strip away all of the like trappings of the genre and what it's really about is the two main themes of the movie are um, the sacrificial love of a father Mm -hmm. um, and how he will do whatever it takes to protect his family even at cost of his own life which is a very Christian idea the greater love has no one than this they lay down his life for his friends Um, and then also just the value of life because the whole movie is about how they're doing extremely dangerous things to save the life of their child who has not yet been born. And they're sacrificing a whole lot. Yes. 
and for s- it. And so it's, it's this whole idea of um, life being precious and life isn't something that we should just throw away and that every human life is valuable. And yeah. I think that's a very Christian theme as well, that um, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, like you're we're all created in the image of God. We're all worthy of dignity. And they show um, that unborn baby, the dignity of you are just as worthy of protecting as our born children or as anyone else that we come in contact with. Yeah. So it's funny because like, in Quiet Place is certainly not a Christian movie, but I think it's weird when you kind of look at it through that lens. So Aaron, go ahead and go. I've, I've talked for long enough about movies. It's so, so funny. Go for it. I, when I saw your list, I just laughed. Um, and, and it's funny for me, like I'm not going to be nearly as deep or detailed about the movies in general, just because um, I, I just think there there's very basic themes throughout any movie that, that reveals you know, a Christian theme and a Christian reality. Um, and I, I can't think of, like, I think of all the different, all the different kinds of movies my kids watch right now. Like when there's a bad guy, there's good versus evil. Yeah. And that, that's a very Christian theme. That's a very Christian reality. To where even like we, my wife and I, with our kids watched Raya and the Last Dragon, which was a really fun movie. Is it like, good? I yeah. really liked it. I haven't it. watched it yet. Um, but my son was, was very much... Um, scared. There's moments he was like, I'm, I'm scared, dad. I'm like, well, 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 remember what I, what we always told him. Like, and this is the way that I help my kids navigate through fear, uh, especially in regards to movies and bad guys is like, who wins? Um, and it's good guys always win. The good always prevails. Um, and all of these movies and all the themes, that's the thing. So like Ryan, the last dragon shows this, this fractured of humanity because of their desire for power and protecting their own. Um, when the whole point of the movie is becoming back to being unified, like let's be a unified people again, that that's the purpose of the movie. And so you see these fractures and these tribes rise up and they're competing and they, they all want this one dragon stone because they believe it leads to prosperity, which again is, is a very worldly reality, but the prosperity and the, and the life comes from, um, unity and, and looking out for each other and this, this, this family community driven reality. Like those are all Christian themes. The best part of humanity is is mostly Christian themed. Um, the Adjustment Bureau is a really good b- example of this, where Which one's it's that? about a, uh, a design and a creator in control. It's with Matt Damon and uh, some other gal. I, I, the reason why I know huh. that, I actually didn't put it on my list because I, I, I didn't even think about it until you were talking. Because there's a moment my wife had mentioned, and this is just me outing myself. Um, we watched this movie. I watch movies for entertainment. She's a very deep thinker, brilliant individual. Um, and at the end of the movie, she's like, That's, there's interesting themes regarding this, this, and this. And I just laughed. And I said, babe, can we just enjoy the movie and entertain and not get into the philosophical pieces to it? <laughs> and she just kind of looked at me like frustrated that I would go there. Um, and I was totally in the wrong. In the wrong. Um, and it ruined a really good movie for us because it, it frustrated her to that whole extent. Um, but that's that's there's there's a lot of like there's a higher power there's a higher hierarchy. I'm surprised you didn't put the Matrix on there because the Matrix is an easy one. Matrix, to, yeah, to highlight. Um, the Truman Show is another good one. I mean, I remember reading this, watching this in philosophy class, like, but talking about Christian themes. Um, I just think there's so much like movies in general, life in general, carry truth and carry hope and carry um, so many things that are Christian messages. Like th- these these things existed in in the faith and the truth of who God is. And we see it in all through all throughout creation. So um, there's a there's a like there's a bunch of just generic movies. Like as I think about um, Frozen, I love the, the the movie Frozen, and the theme it has in Frozen One is the love is not this uh, romantic love between uh, a prince and a princess, but it's actually the the what the perfect love 
between sisters, right. the family love. Um, those are huge. Those are huge things. The family unit is valuable. So anyways, um, I think that that's the thing. I think you can find, if you're being really honest, you can find uh, so many Christian elements in, in Mission Impossible. I mean, they're, they're putting their lives at risk for the better of humanity. Um, they're sacrificing a lot. Mission Impossible never even occurred to me. Mission Impossible. Um, so, so I think you can put anything. You can die hard. Like he's fighting for his marriage, and he's like first one. He's fighting for his marriage. He's showing up. His marriage is on the rocks. Why? Why is he going through a hula blue? Because he cares about the betterment of humanity, but he's also fighting for to protect his wife. Like those, those are very like Christian themes. So, anyways, we can go on and on and on about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of my it's, one it, of my favorite uh, sayings is that all truth is God's truth. Um, so there's just this idea that if if something is beautiful and and true in the deepest sense of that word, um, then it is a Christian theme. And so I think there's all these ideas of um, a bunch of movies are either definitely like they don't really care about Christianity. Some are even openly hostile to Christianity. Like oh, when, you, sure. when you listen to like directors and actors talk about it, but then you don't really like, they kind of don't realize that like well like at the end at the heart of their what they've done though at the heart of the art they've created is something that can point our attention and affection back to God, yeah. which I think is really powerful. So there you go. There's a couple examples there. Um, but yeah, that's a good question. That was a fun one. Yeah, it was um, a fun one. Different. Yeah, I, just, I laughed at Evan's list because like predictable, 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 predictable. I don't talk about... Uh, I, I, guess I, I know you well enough. I guess Christmas time. Lord of the Rings about. is always, oh, yeah, yeah, always yeah, yeah, a yeah, go-to, yeah. right? The Quiet Place, only because we recently watched it and then had the conversation afterwards. True. Uh, maybe, maybe after watching the first one, because I hadn't seen the first one till a couple of weeks ago. Oh. So then being able to see the first one at our Leeds retreat and then uh, going to see the second one together as a, as a pastoral team was fun. Um, so yeah, I just laughed because I'm like, oh, Evan's so predictable. There you go. Um, and before we before we sign off today, there is another review, uh, Ooh. a recent one from Tuesday. So two days ago, um, who I, Grandpa Steve left another review for. So thank you, Grandpa Steve. Thanks, Grandpa Steve. Um, and this is what he said. He's like, this is a great thing to listen to while working. Great job, guys. Um, he says this, which is not normal that you hear often. He says, they I think they should be longer. Sometimes it feels like you have more to say, but not enough time. Um, so we, we do oftentimes cut it short only because we care about time. And we know sometimes going too long can be a detriment. So um, we'll do a better job of trying to be clear and trying to get what we need to say more quickly. Um, so it allows all the thoughts to be well processed. But thanks for the five-star review. Appreciate that so much. Well, uh, you, and again, we'd love for you to continue leaving us reviews and sending us compliments because we like to feel good about ourselves. So <laughs> it also helps the algorithms to get the podcast out. That's the biggest reason. But And if you like longer episodes, you definitely like the last few weeks because we've gone about an hour both times. <laughs> Gotta love it. This is what happens when we have stuff to talk about. True. All right. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Um, as always, uh, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. We're not the only resource of the Grove Church. If you go on our website, grove.church, you can find our archive of podcast episodes, archive of past messages, as well as um, our Life and Them blog, which launched recently. So that's a really yeah. great, great read. Check it out. Um, and then if this podcast has been a blessing to you uh, and you'd like to consider supporting the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that by going to our website, grove.church, and then there's a give button in the top right-hand corner. So we would love uh, if you were able to do that. But with that being said, that's it. Have a great day, guys. Bye.